0: Family, happiness, and holiness, what in the world is left? Here's what's left. I think it's on the screen tonight. The greatest two things in your life, now look at this, are to be known by God and to be used by God. Those are the two greatest things. The two most important things in your life and mine are to be known by God and to be used by God. Now let's take that one step further. We are known by God through our faith. And we're used by God if we are usable. Now, we're going to be in numbers, not yet, but in just a minute. But before we open our Bibles to numbers, let me give you a Bible verse that you can write down tonight that illustrates the fact that we're known by God from our faith. Nahum chapter 1, one of the greatest verses in the Old Testament, verse number 7. Nahum 1, 7. And the Bible says this, The Lord is good. Say that with me. The Lord is good. And then listen to the next phrase. A stronghold in the day of trouble. Say that. A stronghold in the day of trouble. Listen to the next phrase. And he knows those who trust in him. Say that with me. And he knows those who trust in him. So I'm saying to you tonight, the two greatest things in life, number one, are to be known by God. How how are we known by God? You say, well, God just knows everybody. Well, God knows everybody in a general sense, but I'm talking about a relationship with God. At the final judgment, we read in the Sermon on the Mount that many people will stand before God, and they will say to God, God, look at all the good things I've done. Look at all the sermons I preached. Look at all the demons I cast out. Look at all the, you know, they might say, look how holy I was. And God will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. So when he says that, he's saying that a lot of people on the earth, I know, and it, certainly God knows everything about everybody, but God is saying, depart from me, I never knew you. He's saying there are many people I don't have a relationship with. That's, he's using the word know in a relationship. Sense. I don't have any relationship with them, and so they're not going to be with me forever in heaven. And yet in Numbers chapter 1 and verse 7, we learn that God knows those who put their trust in Him. And so if we trust in God, God knows us. Now, we would all agree that that's the most important thing in life, to be known by God. Not just how many hairs are in our head, but to be known by God. For God to say, well, certainly I know John. I've been with him today. And I, I, yes, I'm in his heart. I've forgiven his sins. and the same for you. But the second greatest thing in life is to be used by God. Not just to be known by God, but to be used by God. And God uses people whom he finds usable. Now, common sense tells us that's bound to be true. I mean, God's not going to use somebody who is unusable. And if God looks down from heaven and he sees somebody whom he already knows, and he sees that that person is usable in his service, what will God do? God will use them in whatever way he chooses to use them, either a public way, a private way, a big way, a small way. Hey, nothing's really small if God's in it, and so we want to be used by God. So that said tonight, please open your Bible to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, and we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11 and 12 tonight. As I think about all the people in the Bible whom God used, and he used a lot of different people to do a lot of different things, It would be difficult to find anybody that God used more than Moses. Now, maybe Paul in the New Testament, maybe Peter, maybe, maybe David. But if you're making a list of the top five people in the Bible that God used, I think we would all agree that Moses would have to be on that list. And in Numbers chapters 11 and 12, we see some of the qualities that Moses had in his life that made him usable. And so before we get into these, I want to ask you tonight a general question. Do you think that when God looks at you or when God thinks about you, that he considers you to be usable? We're having a big day here at the church on Saturday morning. This Serve Saturday, 400 plus people, maybe it'll be 500 people, who are going to show up on Saturday morning at 8.30. And we're going to go out into the community and, and try to serve people or try to help people. Well, that's the right thing to do, and I'm glad we're doing it. I'm planning on being here for it, but the question is this. Of the four or 500 people who show up on Saturday, how many of those do you think God would really say, they're usable? They're usable. Well, we know whoever shows up is willing to be used, But I wonder if all of us who show up, how many would God say, that person is really usable. I can use that person. Well, hopefully everybody is, but we all want to be more usable. So let's just think about some qualities or some characteristics of a person whom God would deem usable. And I want to just kind of put it out there tonight and say it in the present tense way. And I want to kind of give you this challenge as I challenge myself tonight. Number one, be a person of simple, childlike faith. It seems like the people that God uses the most are just the people who have a simple childlike faith. That is, when God says something, they believe the promise of God, whether there's any proof or any evidence that that promise is going to be true in their particular life. They just read the Bible, they hear a word from God, and they say, I just believe that. I just have a very simple childlike faith. Now, in Numbers chapter 11, here's the situation. The Israelites have been complaining because they're tired of eating manna. They've been eating manna out in the wilderness in the desert for a long time. This kind of like a wafer, a little cracker. And they're tired of it, and they wanted some meat to eat. And so they're complaining against God. They're complaining against Moses. In fact, if you look in chapter 11, verse 1, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So when we complain, God's listening, and God hears that. And they're complaining because they're tired of eating this same food. And in verse 5, they said, We remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt, in verse 6, but now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. All we've got is the manna. What they were saying is we're tired of the same old thing over and over every day, and we want something new. And so God listened to that, and God kind of got tired of hearing them complain, and so God said this, if you want meat to eat, I'm going to give you meat to eat. In fact, I'm going to give you meat to eat. I'm going to give you so much meat to eat that the meat is going to be coming out of your nostrils. And you'll never ask for a hamburger again after all the meat that I give you. And so God told Moses he was going to provide meat for the people for 30 days. They were going to have meat, meat, and and more meat. And so uh, Moses, as he's thinking about this, notice what Moses said down in verse 21. He says this to God. The people who I am among are 600,000 men on foot. 600,000 men. Many of them would have been married, and of course they would have had children. And so as we think about the number of people Moses was leading out there in the desert, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 million people, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, but somewhere around 2 million people. And so Moses is saying, God, you're saying that you're going to provide meat for 200, for not 200, but for 2 million people for a month. And notice what he says in verse 22. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? In other words, God, where is all this meat going to come from? Notice what, it said, well, notice what God said in verse 23. The Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether I say will happen uh, or not. Verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And so when, when God said to Moses, Moses, has my arm been shortened? you think that I'm unable to feed two million people in the desert? I'm God. I made them, and I made the desert, and I can provide the meat. And so when God told Moses that, notice what Moses did. He went out and told the people the words of the Lord. In other words, he just said to the people what God had said to him. And so Moses had a simple and a childlike faith. And that's the kind of faith that we need. A faith that says, here's what God has said in his word. Here's a promise that God has made. And you know what? I don't have any evidence that it's going to be working out in my particular case. I don't see how it can work out in my particular case. But God said this, and I just just believe it He said it. Look, it's not evidence that we're looking for. It's the trustworthiness of God, and God would never lie. Let me just give you one of the. I could give a lot of verses tonight that you could claim as a promise and just have simple childlike faith, but one of my favorites is in Psalm 138. Just jot this down. You don't need to look it up. Psalm 138 and verse 8, and that verse says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Say that with me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. And I wish you could see my Bible tonight, and I know you can't, but I have that verse circled, underlined, check marks by it, and I have dated that verse through going back to about 2014. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If I'm counting right, eleven different times. I've dated that verse in the last uh, that many years. So the Lord will perfect that. So what does this mean? That's a promise from God. Some of you today may have gone to work and, and lost your job. And so now you don't have an income. And you're thinking, well, what now what's going to happen? Well, I don't know specifically what's going to happen, but I know the, the, the general promise of God, the Lord will perfect that, which concerns me. If you've lost your job, that's that's a situation that needs perfecting, right? Well, somehow some way, God's going to perfect that. God's going to complete that. God's going to take care of you in that. And so, what do we do? We just say, "God, here's the promise." And what if I'm going to be usable If I'm going to, first of all, if I'm going to be at peace in my heart, which we need to be at peace in order to be usable, I'm going to have to just have a simple childlike faith that says, I don't see how this can happen, but I believe that the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. My dad mentioned earlier in the service that Shirley Perkins died earlier today, about eight o'clock this morning. I saw Shirley on Monday afternoon, and I'm sitting there talking with her, And she knew she was coming to the end. Now, she or I, neither one knew it was going to be this quick. But she knew she was coming to the end. And she said, John, I know that before too long, I'm going to be in heaven. And she said, you know, I just can't wait till I get up there, and I'm going to see Jesus. And I'm going to see some of my my family who's already gone on. And I'm going to see, and she starts just describing all the things. I'm going to just see that the entire heaven experience is just going to be mine. Now, how did she have that? How did she have that faith? Well, the only way she could have had that faith is just to believe the the promise of God. I read a verse in my Bible this morning. After I talked to Les, he called and told me that she had passed, and I was reading my just having my Bible reading this morning. Listen to this verse out of Psalm 49 in verse 15. But God, the psalmist said this: But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Well, If you lose a loved one, that promise right there, uh, or if you're about to die yourself, that promise right there is, is all you need. God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he will receive me. And so what I'm saying is, the first thing we need to have is just a simple faith. God said it. I don't understand it. I don't see it. I, it doesn't seem like in this particular case that this is going to be true, but God said it, Romans eight twenty eight. all things for good. I don't see it. I I couldn't even draw up a scenario before the Lord how this could possibly be good. But he said it, and I believe it, and I'm going to put my faith in him. So we need to be people of a simple and childlike faith. The number two, the second thing we need is simply this. Be humble before the Lord. Be humble before the Lord. Now, we're going to see a verse in a minute that talks about humility. But let me read you a couple from the New Testament. You might want to jot these references down. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12, Jesus said, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That is, if we exalt ourselves, God will bring us down. But if we'll humble ourselves, God will lift us up. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It is a biblical truth that God resists the proud, that God stiff arms the proud, that God Doesn't use the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so we want to be humble before the Lord. Now, in Numbers, look now in chapter number 12 and look at verse 3 because we have one verse here. It's in parentheses in my Bible, but this little parenthesized verse gives us a tremendous insight into Moses. Notice what it says Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. So here's a man and we're going to see it in a minute, God spoke to him face to face. He wrote the Ten Commandments. He parted the Red Sea. I mean, God parted it, but it was through Moses lifting out that rod that the Red Sea was parted. He performed all those miracles in front of Pharaoh, all those plagues that came on the Egyptians. Moses was the man, and yet we read here that the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. There's something about humility that attracts the presence of God in a person's life, and there's something about pride that turns God off. You remember the parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 18 about the two men who went to the temple to pray that day, and the first man was a religious man, a Pharisee, a religious leader, and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. I fast twice a week, and I tithe all my income. He was telling God how holy he was, because to him, holiness was the most important thing. And he's just thinking, God. God, I thank you I don't commit adultery and all these terrible sins. I just thank you, God, I'm not like these other people. Well, he finished his prayer, and then a sinful man got up, a, a tax collector got up to pray. And he was so convicted by his sin that he couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. He bowed his head down, and he beat his chest, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. This man, that second man, went home justified. He went home saved. And the other man just went home. The Pharisee, the religious guy, just went home. He didn't go home forgiven because he had exalted himself, bragging on how holy he was, and God disregarded that prayer, but this humble man who humbled himself, God exalt. So there's something about humility. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, God will exalt us. If we exalt ourselves, God will humble us. It's a very, if you think about that, it's a very sobering thought. It just makes you never want to brag on yourself or say anything that you accomplished or anything that you ever did because it's, it's really not good in the, in the ears of God. Last week, of course, I did the sermon about being thankful for people in our lives that have been a blessing to us, and I used as my example Dr. Charles Stanley, and uh, I think he's just a tremendous example of the point I'm talking about now, humility, and I came in the service just a moment late tonight, I was finishing up a a funeral meeting just before the service, but uh, I don't know if my dad mentioned, but I'll I'll mention, if you want to be blessed, go to the website of First Baptist Church Atlanta and watch the celebration service of Dr. Stanley's life this past Sunday night. It's one of the most, if not the most, amazing services that I've ever been in. Not only do they have the room was packed and the choir and orchestra, but the guest speakers live in the room, David Jeremiah, Franklin Graham, video tributes by Chuck Swindoll and Tony Evans, they went to the Brooklyn Tabernacle that led by Jim Cimbala and his wife, Carol. Church was packed. And the Brooklyn Tabernacle sang a song in memory of Dr. Stanley. And then they went, the camera went back to Atlanta, and first Atlanta sang the same song. It, it, that service was so amazing. It, it's, the, it, it's one of the closest things I've ever seen to heaven on earth because you just had people in Brooklyn, Dallas, San Diego, Atlanta, and they're all coming together, and it was just a powerful service. So, Dr. Stanley still very much on my mind. Well, last week on the In Touch Twitter page, they showed a picture of something that I had never seen, and I want to show you the picture tonight because I, I think it, a picture is worth a thousand words. That is the prayer closet in Dr. Stanley's house. And you can see almost like a cot there. It, that may be a cot covered with a blanket. And you see at the foot of that, he had a towel, like a small blanket, where he would kneel to pray, and then the cot where he would pray. And when I saw that picture, I thought, well, that's the secret of the whole thing. Uh, a ministry that a man God used in an absolutely unbelievable way, but the prayer, the secret place. And, you know, the interesting thing to me about that picture when I saw it is that Dr. Stanley had never shown that picture. They didn't show that picture after he had died, which it further illustrates my point of humility. You know, some of us, if we had a prayer closet like that, we'd want to come out here and show everybody our prayer closet and tell everybody how humble we are, right, and how much we pray. But like I had a seminary professor tell me many years ago, the moment you become aware of your humility, you lose it. If you think you're humble, you're not. If you're taking pride in your humility, I mean, think about that. You're taking pride in your humility? And so I think that's why, I mean, he, would have, he could have shown that in, in, a, in the right spirit. And there were plenty of times he talked about his prayer closet. and pray. I'm not saying we can't share where we go. I'm not saying we can't do that. But I'm saying you have to do that in the right spirit because if it's flaunted or we try to show off, Uh, anything about that that's that personal You, you can share it but you just have to be careful we have to be humble before the Lord number three thing that I think it takes in order for us to be usable not only faith and humility but we have to be content with our assignment in life and I would encourage you whatever your assignment in life is it may not seem like a big deal but I would encourage you to be content in that assignment now in Numbers chapter 12 look in verse 1 Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. So Moses and Aaron and Miriam are siblings. Miriam is the sister. And Moses had married a girl from Ethiopia. Well, they didn't like that. And so now they're criticizing him because of their uh, sister-in-law. And then verse 2. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And so, at this point in the journey, Moses' brother and sister are thinking, we've heard all of Moses we want to hear. Moses, the great leader. Moses, the man of God. Moses getting the Ten Commandments. Moses parting the Red Sea. Moses, Moses, Moses. Well, what about us? We've done some pretty good things too. And what does that indicate? It indicates that they were not content with their position in life, with their assignment in life. They, they were jealous of Moses. And you know the thing about jealousy, there's a lot of jealousy in the world today. And sadly, there's a lot of jealousy in the church. And a lot of jealousy amongst Christian people. And you know, that's just bad. That, it should not be that way. One of the things I pray six days a week is that, that I would be free of any jealousy or envy. Of anybody else because, listen, we should rejoice over other people's blessings, not resent other people's blessings. Amen? And yet jealousy, the, these siblings were obvious. Obviously, they were jealous over, over Moses, and it just rubbed God the wrong way. They were not content with their assignment in life. And, you know, as I think about that, our, I say our assignment in life. And you say, well, now, John, I don't know that I have an assignment in life. I'm not a missionary or a pastor or a teacher or a Sunday school class, something like that. Well, you still have an assignment. We all have assignments within our family and circle of friends and where we work, an assignment to serve the Lord and to represent Him. And so I would encourage you to be content with your assignment in life. And the only way to do that is to be content with your relationship with the Lord. Because if we're content with God, we can be content with whatever he has called us to do. And then the fourth quality we need is simply this. Pray for those who speak against you. Now, notice how Moses did that. In verse number four, notice what it says. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. And he said, hear now my words. Is there a prof- if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings or riddles. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so God said, I heard what you said about Moses. Why? Who is he? And who, why aren't you giving us more credit? And, and God did not receive that very well. Verse 9, So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous. So she's a leper now, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly, and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one of the dead, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. Verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God. I pray. And so who was he praying for? You say, well, he's praying for his sister. Well, he was. But he was also praying for somebody who had spoken against him. And says to me that when we pray for people who have criticized us, who have spoken against us, who have hurt us in some way, think about this. The first thing that happens is it changes you. You know, I've learned this. I can't be mad at somebody I'm praying for. I mean, it's hard to, be, it's hard to hold a grudge against somebody that you're asking God to bless. And so one of the best things we could do in life that would help us with bitterness and anger and is just begin to pray for people that might not like you and maybe you don't even particularly like them. But as you pray for them, you'll begin to like them. You'll begin to love them and it'll change how you feel about it. You can't be mad at somebody that you're praying for. And not only that, it honors God in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. It's an amazing thing. And so it honors God, and it blesses the people we're praying for. And so, you know, I think when God looked down at Moses, I think one of the things that endeared Moses to God was he had these qualities. And God knew that Moses was not a bitter man or an angry man. He's praying for his sister, God, heal her of this leprosy. Forgive her for what she did. She shouldn't have said it. it was wrong. Don't hold it against her. Just like you have forgiven me, forgive her. That was Moses. And there's something about that approach to life that... God is, uh, is drawn to. And then the last thing I would say is this. If we're going to be usable, we need to refuse to sin. To just refuse to sin. Now, I know there's a sense we say, well, everybody sins. And, and we do sin. And sometimes we say, well, you know, nobody's perfect. And that's true. Nobody's perfect. But I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can use that as an excuse not to deal with things in our lives that need to be dealt with. So in the moment of temptation, we need to refuse to sin. Now go back to chapter 11 and look in verse 31 because God now is feeding these people with quail. They've been complaining, and God's going to give them what they've been asking for. And it says, Now wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp. About a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side. All around the camp. So there's all this quail. In verse 32. And the people stayed up all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibroth-Hatava. Because there they buried the people. Now watch this. Who had yielded to craving. In other words, they had a desire for meat. That was their desire. And they yielded to that desire. They wanted meat more than anything else. And God gave it to them. And yet, because of that, because of the sin of not being satisfied with what God had given them and, and eating all this meat and complaining, uh, what happened? Well, what happened was they ended up dying. And so they certainly weren't very usable before the Lord. There's a verse in the, New Testament, in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms that's one of my favorite verses. And I want to close with this tonight. It says, talking of this passage... God gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Now, you think about that. God gave them their request. They asked for meat. God gave them meat. And they just ate it and ate it and ate it and ate it. And they ended up dying. And before they died, spiritually, they were already dead. God sent leanness into their soul. It says to me... Sometimes God does us a favor when he doesn't give us what we have asked for. Amen? And I encourage you tonight, as we think about the greatest thing in our life, it's not wealth or health. It's not even family as great as that is. It's certainly not happiness, and it's not even holiness. The greatest thing in life is to be known by God. And the second greatest thing tonight in life is to be used by God. And yet, in order for God to use us, we have to be usable. Let me read these again. I encourage all of us tonight, let's be people who have simple childlike faith, who are humble before the Lord, who are content with our assignment in life wherever God has placed us, who pray for those who might speak against us, and who in the moment of temptation, with the power and help of the Holy Spirit, we refuse to sin so that we can be a clean vessel before the Lord. And Father, I thank you tonight for Moses. I thank you for his example. I thank you, God. He knew you and you knew him and the two of you spoke face to face. We asked that you would speak to us that way. But God, I pray that you would help us to be usable, clean vessels in your sight. Now, with your head bowed and eyes closed tonight, if those are some of the prerequisites for being used by God, if that was a test that I just gave tonight, how did you do on that test? How did you do on that test? Well, we could all do better. And Father, I pray that you will help us to do better. Help us to be usable vessels in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said.